Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Molo Sanbonani, hello, how's it? Shalom, you're listening to the IRR show. Boy, are we not happy to be back on your airwaves. You are listening to Big Daddy Liberty. And of course, I'm joined by the other half of the show, the smarter, the prettier side of the show, Saragon. Good morning, ma'am. You said just what I needed to hear. Thank you, Sifu. <laughs> I'm on a high, of course, because, um, hey, the Springboks won. We won the World Cup. Uh, obviously, I couldn't watch it because it was on Shabbat, but, um, Wow, when I watched that game on on Monday morning, was I not impressed by the 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 camaraderie? It it was an absolute absolutely phenomenal victory. They played with heart. They played they were certain, they were sure of themselves, they were creative and they left England pretty much in the dust. It was truly a convincing victory even though most of us actually never expected them at all. Absolutely. And what I really found special um and I I really want to give it this sort of a, 45 seconds of, of a chat because it was so emotional for so many South Africans. I mean, I was watching the repeats, but I felt the emotion and one couldn't escape the feeling that South Africa perhaps really needed this. We, we needed a win for a change in a country that's so used to gloomy news and, uh, you know, sort of divisive characters. We just needed something that we could rally around, Sarah. It was really a moment to take our minds off everything and we didn't have to have regard to potential downgrades. We didn't have to have regard to whether the government was going to do the right thing with the economy or Absolutely. not. From, for a few hours, it was pure, unalloyed joy. And I genuinely think for those who watched it or who wanted to watch it, that's all that mattered. Absolutely. And again, I, I, I cannot begin to explain to you the feeling it left you with. I mean, uh, and just to maybe juxtapose just how special it was, not more than a couple of hours later, you then have the usual gaggle of hateful, divisive politicians taking to social media to eff- effectively divide the country, to remind us, if you will, that they want us to be a perpetually angry and teeth-gnashing and uh, mistrusting population. Uh, a one Mbuiseni uh, Ngozi, the EFF um, member of parliament, then tweets this, this weirdly off-base tweet, um, and I'll just quickly paraphrase it. Uh, uh, this is his tweet on uh, on uh, Sunday, I think. Mm-hmm. Congratulations to Sia Kolisi, the South African captain. Um, the rest of you, go get your congratulations from Prince Harry. I mean, who who does that? <laughs> like, on what planet do you have to live to sort of be that bitter and and um, and sour? I, I couldn't decide whether it was EFF aggro and bitterness or whether it was actually satire. In other words, he knew that the response to rugby was so positive. The one way to bring attention to the oh. EFF was to say things just like that. I mean, one of the other comments he made was, uh, today is England versus England. He also claimed that settlers don't mind who wins. It's a win for them because they are all still England at heart. And other than Sia Colisi, he's ignoring four, five other black players. It, it, it's... I think the problem is, I almost do think it's satire, but it, it rebounded very badly on him. And there was something 
very dull and insipid and actually quite vindictive in mm. the tweet. Yeah. And, <clears throat> sorry, by the way, it's not just him. I mean, there are other characters such as Lusufi during the game. Uh, you know, yeah, the, yeah. the usual race baiters, the ones who can't wait to point out that there's, yeah. there's differences between us and that somehow we need to hate each other or if not hate each other, be mistrustful mm. of each other. I mean, the, the mayor of Ekuruleni, um, uh, Zandile Messina, essentially <clears throat> basically says, look, I'm not going to support this team because it represents mm. blah, 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 blah. And you sort of sit back and you think, on what world do you have to be on as a public official, someone who literally draws a salary that comes from the collection of black, white, Indian, colored South Africans, and they literally pay your lifestyle Mm. for you to then be bitter Mm. and essentially speak ill of those very people? Uh, There's something profoundly wrong with that. I think it's just, I think it's almost just using a particular methodology to draw attention to themselves. It's almost an attention-seeking device. Um, And because our research has shown that racism is way at the bottom of people's concerns, black and white. Yeah. And speaking about that research, we're going to have a special guest today on the show for our 20-minute segment, um, Mr. Marius Ruet, who's the uh, head of campaigns, but he'll clarify when, I, when we have him in the studio later. But he essentially is from the Institute of Race Relations, and we're going to have a chat about a campaign they're running right now called uh, Common Sense, or hashtag Common Sense if you're on social media, which speaks to exactly that. Mm-hmm. The South Africans are actually quite reasonable and rational people, and, you know, we're actually quite united. But before we get to any of that. Sarah, what's been in the news cycle uh, this week besides the rugby? Besides the rugby and uh, being, you know, being put one level down by Moody's and heading for junk status in three months' time. Yeah, that's a big problem. There, there was, I thought, a very interesting and, and, and under-publicized piece, um, a, a press release by Solidarity, the union. And basically they were expressing concern of the potential loss of about 125,000 jobs in South Africa, should the United States decide to terminate South Africa's eligibility to participate in the generalized system of preference. Now, the GSP essentially is a scheme that allows duty-free imports from less developed countries. Um, And the reason why the USA is, is reviewing South Africa's eligibility is because of, legi- of draft legislation that, that, that hugely affects our law on copyright and uh, performance rights. And, of course, there are about three, apparently 3,200 companies in, in uh, American companies worldwide who require uh, GSP countries yeah. to provide the, 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 the sort of uh, uh, protection to their, uh, to their intellectual property that yeah. they need. Uh, again, this is a very big issue because at the end of the day, you know, uh, we're classical liberals and we're mm. big proponents of free trade yeah. um, and trade agreements which are um, essentially allow – look – Free trade is the most important means to allowing a small nation, a mm. developing nation, if you will, indeed any nation, to be able to do what it's uh, good at best. Mm. That is, mm. you know, if you're good at producing wool mm. and you are terrible at producing machinery, then, you know, you at least you're able to provide or, excuse me, you're able to leverage off of what mm. you're good at mm. um, and actually trade quite freely with other countries in order to make the foreign capital, to make the foreign currency that allows you to buy yeah. the other capital goods. Um, you know, trade <laughs> is very important. Important. So it's it's a little concerning, and I'm going to be watching this one with an yeah. e, uh, you know sort of hawk's eye, if you will, um, as to how it develops. Um, sorry, there's been other interesting stuff in the news re- lately. Uh, Ramaphosa et al. constant appeals for hopeless hope, hopefulness. It, 
it's, it's, it's not really news per se, but it's, it's really a source of aggravation for me, is almost every time Ramaphosa opens his mouth, he appeals for a sort of united response to all the problems in our country, and we must all take responsibility for them, and we must be hopeful. I don't know. We, we are. We, we, we're waiting. We're hoping that he and his, his colleagues are going to do something about the economy urgently. Mm. It, it's almost as if, if we, we must sit back and... I don't know, have a collective prayer for the, for, in the hope that the, the country will turn around instead of actually really getting down and making some decisions and doing it. There is a bit of a weird waiting for Godot tone yes. to, to how politicians are, are expressing themselves at the moment. Guys, please call into the show or rather send us a telegram. That number, remember, is 061-895-1019. And uh, you can SMS us at uh, 34519. We'll see you after the short break. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Molo Sambodani, welcome back to the show. Uh, you're listening to the IRR show with uh, Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gunn. Uh, remember, if you want to reach us and contribute to the conversation, you can send us a telegram at 061-895-1019 or, hey, send us an SMS. Maybe you're old school like me. Uh, SMS at 34519. Guys, I do have a special uh, guest in studio, someone who I think um, is quite familiar to you guys now, I hope. Uh, Mr. Marius Ro- who, of course, uh, is the head of campaigns at the Institute of Race Relations. Morris, of course, is going to be chatting to us about their recently launched campaign called Common Sense, hashtag Common Sense, um, which makes a few arguments, very interesting arguments about the nature of South Africans. Um, Morris, welcome to the show. How are you doing? When you I like the way you roll the R's when you say my name. That's right, man. Marius Ruet. Um, I can't roll the R's, so fine. <laughs> <laughs> he has to get somebody else to do it for him. <laughs> Marius, welcome to the show. Um, I think I'm particularly interested in this campaign. This campaign really speaks to perhaps a sentiment which uh, pervades in the majority of South Africans, but isn't actually represented in, uh, you know, the chattering classes in our media and, of course, in our politics. Um, common sense. What do you guys mean by this campaign? What exactly does it mean? Well, I think uh, the operative word in that is uh, common, and South Africans have, uh, in the best sense of the word, uh, the South Africans have a lot more in common than we think, and uh, you guys were talking about the World Cup at the beginning of the show, mm. and it shows that South Africans are actually, I mean, despite our history, we're actually fairly united in uh, quite a lot of ways, and despite, I mean, we'll, nobody needs a history lesson that's listening or that's sitting here, but we know where we've come from, and come from a bad history, and despite that, we still actually uh, get on fairly well, and we pretty much want the same things. We could see, apart from some race-baiting politicians on um, uh, Twitter and so on, m- Nearly every single South African was happy about this uh, win on Saturday, and it's also a win that South Africans needed. But uh, we, we've done a bit of research into what uh, South Africans want and um, uh, how they feel about things. Yep. And uh, when when we asked, uh, we, we did this uh, survey last year, so it's still quite uh, uh, up to date. Uh, we asked uh, ordinary South Africans what they thought uh, the government should be focusing on. And there wasn't things like uh, more land reform or uh, we need more race-based policy and that kind of thing. What people wanted, and this was across the board, was uh, people said we needed to create jobs, we needed to fight corruption, we needed to fight crime, and there had to be, and we had to improve things such as education. And at the same time, uh, most South Africans actually feel that race relations have improved since 1994. Mm. And uh, we've also um, 
Most South Africans want uh, people to be appointed on merit, irrespective of the race of people. Mm. Uh, a lot of people said that uh, <coughs> people who suffered from disadvantage in the past should be given special training, but they didn't say these people should be appointed just because they're black, for example. Mm. And also two uh, other things that are also very interesting is that majority of South Africans want sports teams to be selected only on merit, without any race quotas. And the majority of South Africans don't care what the uh, race of their child's teachers, as long as that teacher is good. So, and these are... Um, there's some differences in uh, when you ask when you break this down by race group, but pretty much the that's uh, all pretty pretty similar. And South Africans in general pretty much want the same things. And I think that's one thing uh, the government needs to realise is the government actually needs to get some common sense uh, instead of uh, looking at uh, policies that actually retard economic growth in South Africa, make it harder for people to employ people or to start businesses. We need to look at what's uh, what can we do to create jobs in South Africa and I mean, that should be the focus of uh, the government and should be the focus of actually every South African. The most important uh, issue facing South Africans today and the country is unemployment. Morris, we're going to unpack some of these in, in just in a bit of a discussion. But I tweeted on Friday, just to maybe support the sentiment, I tweeted on Friday something went a little bit viral. And I said, one day, hopefully, a South African politician will ascend to power who wants to help you because you are poor and not because you're black. When that day comes, we'll truly have a non-racial society, I said. And when that day comes, we'll abandon, we'll abandon, excuse me, racist and condescending policies like BEE and affirmative action. If I listen to your research, you know, if I listen to its breakdown in terms of what people consider to be their priorities, this tweet actually speaks to a lot of those sentiments, doesn't it? I mean, look at those top five priorities you spoke about. You know, job creation, fighting crime, fighting corruption. None of that speaks to someone who goes, uh, in any of those things must be done by either a a black person or a white person. It's the idea of just any anybody just needs to get the job job done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And also, think most people agree that we should help all poor or disadvantaged people. It shouldn't be. We shouldn't just focus, say, for example, on black people. Of course, if we just focus on disadvantaged or black or on poor people, the vast majority of people who will uh, get assistance will be black people. Absolutely, and that's the nuance mm. that I think race nationalists refuse to well, to to accept. I mean, uh, one of the points I make, sorry, I want to bring you in on this. One of the points I've always made is that South Africans have never had a truly non-racial society. Mm. We've always got, undergone one form of race nationalistic authoritarian um, government from the colonial. Days, which obviously saw us being uh, colonized, if you will, by by an English nationalism, if you will, right? A, a colonized, if you will, um, and then obviously we transitioned into an Afrikaner nationalism, which you know expressed itself, unfortunately, in something as evil as apartheid, mm. um, which sought to divide society. And of course, today we ha- now have an African nationalism, which you know plays itself out mm. in the race-based policies that we see today, such mm. as you know affirmative action mm. and BEE, which we think at face value are meant to help people, but again. The evidence is is um, showing otherwise, where essentially you, you have the small elite of individuals who trade on their skin color, mm. um, and they perpetually get all this assistance, all these wonderful deals in the name of redress. Mm. And the vast majority of Black South Africans who are unable to say, "I have friends in the political elite," uh, find themselves in the cold. Sorry. Well, one of the most interesting things for me at the moment is the contradiction you see in much of the media, and that is that. Much of the media has has criticised and complained about the BEE structure and the and, and the policy under uh, the policy underlying it, and they have done for years. Yeah. The fact that it, it it benefits an elite and not does n- nothing for the poor. The minute it, within with the actions occurring in the DA, the minute the DA says that that 
it's moving away from race as a proxy for disadvantage, essentially, or hoping to, to move away from it, to, to essentially eliminating race as the determinant. These self-same journalists have a complete hissy fit. Absolutely. And I, I think there's a, it's a kind of a disconnect between the ordinary people and the people who represent them in, in government, in the media. It's, it's, it's like two completely different worlds. And the one is not actually hearing what the other is saying, but is certainly commenting on it. And, and I found that really weird. Morris, I want to come back to you. Because I think you make a very salient point around South Africans. The ordinary South African is not obsessed with race. Mm. He's obsessed with getting things done. Uh, and to an extent, we almost channel um, former President Nelson Mandela. I mean, I remember this one choice quote of his when the debate around choosing a police commissioner at the time. And he made this wonderful comment along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing poorly, that, you know, I don't care if the cat is black or if it's white, as long as it can catch rats mm. or mouse, uh, mice. Um, I think it was actually the uh, Chinese premier. I think it was, uh, might have been Li Jinping or somebody. He actually said that. I think Nelson Mandela then oh, used channeled that. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Morris, talk to us about this, this particular sentiment because you guys did a survey uh, quite recently and there's an interesting question you guys asked. I think it was question nine or I might get that number wrong about teachers and how parents, for example, uh, what, did, what, what did parents say about the nature of their teacher? Um, and their kids. I'll give you some time to get to that. Uh, well, the um, vast majority of South Africans say, when asked if they think that uh, if, the, if it, it matters what race their child or their, uh, their teacher child is, their child's teacher, sorry. Uh, and 84% of the total said it didn't matter as long as the teacher was good. And 81% of, uh, of black South Africans and over 90% of colored Indian and white South Africans. And another thing that's uh, also uh, quite heartening to... Um, uh, from our survey, uh, we found we asked uh, um, various respondents that uh, do you agree that the different races of South Africa need each other for progress? Mm. And 88% of respondents said yes, 86% of black South Africans, and over 90% of colored Indian and white South Africans. Absolutely. So, but and that's the, that's the ticket, isn't it? Mm. That that bursts the myth um, that is that is created by divisive politicians that somehow we're at the, the the cusp of a race war that we hate each other that we're suspicious of each other. That's clearly not true. I mean, the vast majority mm. of South Africans understand that we actually need each other if we're going to make this work. Mm. So that you, dear listener, are actually part of the majority. You may not be the loudest, um, you know, segment of our society, uh, but you're definitely part of the majority. People who just want to get on with things and. Build Build a nation and build an economy. Sorry, I want to come to you with um, a point that I think we've discussed before, which is there is this terrible, therefore, um, symptom or, or disease, I don't know what to call it, um, that plays out in our politics where, where because of because of our expectations as South Africans being so high mm. and because our expectations are, are largely non-racial, mm. we just want services to work when they don't work. And when they don't work because of the current policy environment of our current politicians, there is a tendency by the same politicians to deflect. Mm. We saw this when we opened up our conversation around Mbwisi Ngozi and Lesufi, blah, blah, blah. But at the larger thread mm. is this weird obsession with blaming apartheid mm. or blaming colonialism, even when the record or the evidence suggests actually it's current policy that's seeing a non-delivery. Well, if you want sort of a simple proof of the opposite, the essentially the first 10 years when uh, Mandela and uh, uh, Tabo Mbeki uh, had, the, had the power to 
push a more free market economy rather than a uh, rather than a socialist economy, South Africa started to really climb. Yeah. So for, for for people to say, well, it's it's apartheid's fault that ten year, from ten years to, 50, to to another fifteen years later, it's the fault of apartheid. It just means nothing is going to get done, and. The, the, the problem is that there, there, there's a general feeling, you know, we, we're responding and you're getting this from our politicians all the time, that if you, if your future is dictated by your past, yeah. you're dead. It, it certainly can be, can be, um, influenced by it, but your future must be determined by what you do now and what you need to do in the future, not what happened in the past. Otherwise, nothing happens. Alright, guys. So that I think, We've gotten to a point, therefore, where I think even the listeners may be picking it up, that we need to see past the distractions, Mm. the race rhetoric, the the gnashing of teeth by the growing gaggle of social justice warriors, race-obsessed race merchants, and divisive politicians is exactly that. They're here to distract. If we're then to tackle the real issues, Marius, and I want to come back to you here in terms of real substantive bread-and-butter issues – we need, as the IRR has been making a constant uh, point, especially on your your Daily Friend um, platform. Remember, guys, you can find all of our writing and, and content on the Daily Friend website. That's dailyfriend.co.za. You'll find guys like Marius et al. on there. Um, you guys make the argument quite a lot that actually what's really needed is a, a terse and honest conversation about the sorely needed reforms um, that will get us back on track. Not to focus on personalities, not to focus focus on race or gender or any of these other identity politics um, tropes, but actually to look at real hard reform um, that's required. And what's in the way of that reform? The ideologues, uh, the identity politics that we've already mentioned, and of course, the distractions. But talk to me, Marius, about, um, I'm going to use a a character just as a hook. Tito Mboweni, he's been... Uh, signaling the, the 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 need for South Africa to go through um, some serious or undertake, excuse me, some serious reforms if we're to get the economy back on track. But I think he ever increasingly is realizing that he's facing the identitarians, um, the hardline lefty Marxists, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, talk to me about the path we need to follow if we're to actually get the country back on track. Is it a racially based? Um, leftist communist uh, utopia or is it something different? Well, I just want to say I think Tito Mboweni is probably one of the bravest men in South Africa. He's one of the only people who's prepared to tell us actually what's going on. And if anybody listened to the medium-term budget policy <coughs> statement, uh, I think it was quite fitting that it was on Halloween because it was terrifying. <laughs> so, <laughs> Exactly. I mean, uh, South Africa hasn't been in this much trouble financially for a long time. Yeah. Possibly the government's got even more financial trouble than did during the 80s when uh, the government was in huge trouble with money and uh, where there were sanctions and government wasn't getting funding from overseas banks and all that kind of thing. One of the reasons actually apartheid ended was because of that. But anyway... There's a couple of things that uh, have to be done, and I mean, they're small things, not small, but they're, they're difficult decisions, but they need to be done. I mean, one of these, we need to cut the public service wage bill. That mm. thing is, it's growing, it's That's unsustainable. Right. There's no way we can carry on paying for um, so many civil servants who often don't uh, add all that much value. I mean, just to quickly interject, I mean, the the total 
percentage of personal income taxes that are collected by government, the total percentage of them is not enough to actually pay the current government wage bill. That should tell you how scarily bloated government is. And uh, there's a 50 billion rand shortfall on uh, tax revenues here. So, I mean, that's very scary. Uh, another, uh, some other things that the government needs to do. I mean, we need to look at the country's state-owned enterprises, things like ESCOM and uh, South African Airways. We need to take some hard decisions. ESCOM needs to be uh, split into three and privatized. SA probably also needs to be privatized or is completely sold and what have done with the, the remaining assets? Yeah, I mean, the, the central question being what business do politicians have running businesses when they clearly can't do this? I mean, we're literally flushing money down the toilet or down a black hole, if you will, um, trying to pursue and prop up these, these state-owned enterprises. For example, SAA. Here's the, 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 the almost sad and almost tragic irony. I was in Cape Town this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our airports... Old airports are, are built very close, close to, uh, poorer neighborhoods, or invariably, as time has gone by, because of the large tracts of land that, that are around airports, you know, informal settlements often spring up around them. Can you imagine that individual in an informal settlement who will never fly on SAA ever in their lives, given their, their, their poverty, um, having to pay 14% uh, VAT income taxes? 15, 15 excuse me, yes. 15% VAT income taxes to, to lit, Make sure that people like me, um, who do fly on SAA, do so at a subsidized rate. There, mm. There's something morally wrong about that, Morris. Mboweni even uh, he raised that in his medium-term budget policy statement. He said, how can it be that we are subsidizing people to fly SAA when people take three or four hours to get to work on taxis and buses and trains? This is the These are the people who should be subsidizing. Absolutely. That kind of public transport, not... Uh, Boeing 737 going to New York or London it should be somebody who's getting from Soweto into Johannesburg or Kai Litchi into Cape Town. Those are the people who deserve government subsidies for transport, not not people who can already afford to basically pay a buy a plane tickets. Or even so, preferably in my book, just open it up to the market. Why mm. should we be funding um, people? You know, why should government be pumping money into propping up artificially certain industries which could compete and operate on the market? Taxis, for example, are a good example. Taxis are not the the image of subsidy. And state control and say, and, and, you know, essentially sucking off the, 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 the government's teeth. They're one of the most successful um, industries in South absolutely. Africa. Absolutely. And they are market driven. And, the, mm. and here's, here's the, here's the real kicker. Here's the real kicker, guys. They're actually the model of transformation insofar mm. as they're probably 98, 99% black. Probably um, even more. And no one, no one, <laughs> but in it being 90% black, no one said the taxi industry must be black. Mm. In other words, there's no racial law that said that. Um, but I digress. Sorry, Morris. Um, as we, as we look to heading to our first ad break, uh, we'll, we'll have you back, of course, on after this. I want us to, to, to sort of chew on, um, the implications of this, right? The implications of race obsession versus actually an adoption and the, the need for non-racial type policies because I think that's the um, the question that trips up the DA and of course it'll be the question that trips up um, the broader society in this country. Guys, we'll be right back after this break. Remember, you can reach out to, to us by, via Telegram at 061-895-1019 or SMS us at 34519. <laughs> IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Molo Sanbonani, welcome. How's it? And welcome back to the IRR show. Um, in the last eight, excuse me, seven minutes of, of the segment, Morris, uh, the question I sort of, um, left with us is, 
for us to, to, to really discuss this issue of the need, the sorely uh, needed direction of non-racial policy approaches in this country. In other words, helping someone because they're genuinely disadvantaged mm-hmm. and not helping them because they're black or they're white or whatever the case may be. Um, it's a distinction that's obviously not being understood in politics right now, but it's one which will really save the country, won't it? Yeah, I think so. And uh, we must remember when we just judge people on groups. That's exactly what uh, happened under apartheid. People yeah. weren't judged as individuals. And I mentioned you uh, in the break, uh, I think a good example of how when we just look at groups or at races, how people can get left behind. Uh, an example is Kakis uh, Rabada, who I'm sure most people who are listening have heard of, plays cricket for South Africa. Another fellow called Diavol Pretorius, who played a couple of games for South Africa in the early 2000s. Now, Kakis Rabada, his dad is a doctor, his mother's a lawyer. He went to St. Stidian's. Uh, Devil Pretorius, uh, he was, uh, uh, his dad died when he was young, his mother married an abusive man, beat uh, Devil when he was young, him and his uh, brother had to end up work, uh, living in an orphanage. Um, uh, he, and, but uh, Devil wanted to uh, play cricket, so he, he, when he was 18 he went to the Free State Cricket Union, asked for a job, they gave him a job working as a groundsman, and he worked his way up to finally play first class cricket for the Free State and eventually for South Africa. Now are we saying that Kahiso Rabada is disadvantaged, even though we can see all the advantages he's had. He comes from a well-off family. He went mm. to one of the best schools in Johannesburg. Is he still disadvantaged compared to Diavol mm. Pretorius? If the answer is yes, then you're a racist, I'm afraid. Absolutely. Because, because you are you're saying black people are always absolutely. disadvantaged just because of the color of their skin, which is, of course, it's nonsense. It's condescending, Sarah. We have a, we have a call in, uh, an SMS. The taxi industry is also a perfect, a, a perfect, ex- I think, example of transformation in that it's based entirely on crime and violence. <laughs> <laughs> Lol. Um, and uh, unfortunately, you're not wrong, right? So there is an element, of course, of, of criminality in that industry. But again, the vast majority of taxi owners, um, and I say this as someone who grew up in a family that, that owned taxis, are good everyday, you know, sort of, um, you know, God-fearing, law-abiding, and family-orientated individuals. Of course, there are those uh, criminal elements in that, and that's why you need to have a strong state that does what is the responsibility of the state, which is to uphold um, the rule of law and, of course, enforce law and order. Um, you know, the, the, the taxi industry, when it does descend into chaotic scenes of violence, is often because there's very poor law, law enforcement in that sector. So, of course, the, the, the state should play its role in that regard, but insofar as the market is opened up opportunities to mostly black individuals who didn't have any other sources of income and saw spot an opportunity and form these businesses, we need to encourage more of that. That is what changes as a society. Just on the back of that, um, if if there's one function the government should perform for for society and for its citizens, it's safety and security. It's the prevention uh, prevention and dealing with crime and violence. Absolutely. Um, Otherwise... Generally, less government, the better. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's the idea of protection of life, liberty, and property, and the state has a responsibility to that. Uh, Morris? I was going to say, uh, the reason we have the tax industry is because of apartheid spatial planning. Yeah. Yeah. People were uh, taken from where they lived, for, uh, not uh, taken away from uh, not being close to jobs and so on, dumped, however far away from where there were jobs. No public transport was provided for these people, often people who couldn't afford transport themselves. And uh, taxi owners saw the gap, and that's what happened. And, Absolutely. And I think, I mean, uh, 
the, I mean, we, we all know there are issues with the taxi industry, but yeah, so that, and it's a great, actually, example of private enterprise in Absolutely. South Africa. And it's something we should actually, I mean, there are obviously issues with it that we can't ignore, but I do think it's actually a, a great example, as I said, of transformation and of uh, private industry in South Africa. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, Morris, I, I'm going to have us conclude in the last sort of three minutes that we have um, by looking at some like key policy proposals, ideas that you guys often push out, because you're not just being critical and you're not just, you know, analyzing for the sake of analysis. You guys actually put forward some intervention, some uh, proposed uh, policy into, uh, solutions, if you will, that could actually benefit the country. I'm going to use the broad uh, um, categories of education, health, and safety and security, because those are enabling opportunities broadly. What would a non-racial approach to education look like? Just two or three key ideas. Uh, well, one of the first things you have to do is get rid of the power of the unions in uh, our schools. They're one of the reasons we've we do have such bad outcomes in schools. Uh, teachers' unions are um, far more power than they should have. Not to say that teachers shouldn't be allowed to be unionized, but they sh- unions should definitely not be as powerful as they are. What we've also suggested is uh, that the issue of uh, vouchers, where the education budget gets broken up in each. Uh, Parents uh, or each family gets X amount of that budget. They can use then that amount of money to either send their kid to the local government school or to a local private school and supplement that if they need to. And then they'll be will be able to see how the uh, parents will uh, decide will um, vote to their feet, so to speak. And we've seen this has happened happens in South Africa, happens all over the world. People who aren't on high income straight uh, scrape together as all the money they can to send their children mm. to private schools or in South Africa into Model C schools. And, and on, on health, well, what do we do then? I think uh, a similar kind of thing we could do, take the health budget, you break it up into vouchers. People can decide if they want to use it at the local government hospital or at a private hospital. But I think we also need to forget about this idea of NHR. Absolutely. Uh, we need to, the government needs to stop seeing the uh, public, I mean, the private sector as an enemy, but rather as a partner. And they should, they need to work together to get South African health outcomes where they should be. Uh, making everything fall under a huge government uh, system is, is a recipe for disaster, I'm afraid. And very quickly, Morris, the last one, safety and security, just two proposals that have nothing to do with race, really, and actually hard, good policy uh, proposal. Well, we think uh, the, the public should be allowed to elect their station commander. Mm. We also think uh, any upgrades for security on your home should be tax deductible as well. Absolutely. Guys, these are hard ideas that I think really do benefit people, and they do so in a way in which actually puts the individual families at the center of a policy. Um, and... Um, Maybe on that note, let me say thank you very much to you, Morris Root, for joining us. And thank you so much. And I wish you guys on the Common Sense campaign all the best of luck. Uh, if you want to find that campaign, please go to the IRR website. That's irr.org.za forward slash or just look for the Common Sense tab on there. And you can sign up and join that campaign. We'll see you after the short break. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the IRR Show. My name is Big Daddy Liberty, and of course, I'm joined in studio by Sara Gon. We just finished a conversation with Marius Rutt, who's from the Institute of Race Relations. He's the head of campaigns, and he spoke to us about the Common Sense campaign, and it really does make common sense, so to speak. Um, <laughs> that so we, we have to speak to it, speak about it is in itself an indictment. It's, it's weird to, to a large extent, um, but I want us to just quickly 
chat about some of the proposals that were put forward by Morris and really some of the points he made. Um, there is something really to be said about the desperate need for us to abandon race um, and racialism mm. in this country and actually start viewing each other as individuals mm. and as different families, mm. isn't it, Sarah? I, th- I think the problem is, you know, you, you, hear, you see in the paper often, particularly, again, after the, the, the DA uh, explosion, implosion, whatever, whatever you want to call it, and that is that ignoring race and calling it non-racialism is, is a farce. No one is ignoring race and yeah. no one can ignore race and no one should ignore race. But you don't need to base forever and a day and irrespective of whether you, um, Suram opposes son or the poor guy, <laughs> let's say from Zwicky in, in Eastern Cape who, who's got no opportunity. Yeah. You look at the objective factors. Um, as soon as they stop needing assistance, they, people don't need help. As long as people need assistance, that's the basis on which you provide the assistance. And, and one of the points Marius made, which really resonated, is this weird idea that how, how dare you pick me for something preferentially mm-hmm. purely because of the melanin in mm-hmm. my skin mm-hmm. and not because you know the ca- content of my character, my knowledge, mm-hmm. my skills and abilities. I mean, let's look at the Springboks as a mm-hmm. good example. Every single guy that was on that team was picked on merit mm-hmm. because he or she was the best mm-hmm. at what they do. Imagine had we had said to them prior to going that actually we picked you to make up some demographic uh, breakdown. So we, we picked you because you, you, you'd make up 90% black, um, 5% mm-hmm. white or whatever the case may be. Are we not living in a condescending clown world, if you will, if we continue to believe that picking someone based on his skin color is somehow moral, when really it isn't. I think I think part of the problem is a general, a generally accepted sort of socialist idea within our politics that that equality of outcomes is what we should be striving for, and if you consider our individual our individualism, we can never have equal outcomes. It's, it's, we're not, we're not made to, to result in eco mm. outcomes. What we do need is the best possible uh, advantage, the best possible opportunities when we start until we, we reach a, a, cert, a level where we can comfortably work on our own. Absolutely. Sarah Gon, thank you so much for joining me on this wonderful show once again. And thank you to the listener for listening. Remember, you can find both Sarah and I on the Daily Friend website. That's dailyfriend.co.za. And, of course, you can find your favorite fat boy, Big Daddy Liberty, on social media. Just search Big Daddy Liberty on any of your favorite social media platforms, and you'll find me there. We'll see you on the <laughs> next show.